Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. We're recording this podcast on April 13th, and I'm Jeff Solacek, education reporter. I'm here again with Tom Tobin, and welcome back, Tom. We missed you last week. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be back, and uh, good to talk about all the uh, things going on this week. It's uh, been a slow week, but in some respects, a busy week. Yeah, the legislature was going to be short and sweet this week because of the holidays, but they still took some time to do things that in the education world are notable. First and foremost, they have taken on their budgets, and the budgets on education are very different. Probably the biggest issue that they have had in terms of taxes and how they want to spend the money that they generate. The bills that they have been passing are now starting to look a little different, but they're they're talking about compromises, that hell-no attitude that Richard Corcoran, this House Speaker, brought forward before, is starting to modulate a little bit. He's starting to talk about being collegial. And so we don't know where things are going exactly yet, but there's there's talk. The House still wants their best and brightest bill on teacher awards. They want to expand it to principals. The Senate is starting to sound like they're willing to go in that direction and make it a, be a permanent part of the law. The House is still looking at their $200 million schools of hope, is what they're calling it, charter school program. The Senate hasn't got that idea in mind. They want to do something that would let them address the perpetually struggling schools, but they're also talking about not just making it be a charter school bill. They're talking about possibly getting some money into the traditional schools as well, saying that if they're willing to do the work, They need the money to do the work as well. They just don't want to see the same tried and untrue um, programs that they've been doing in the past. And so those kinds of issues are coming forward. Charter school capital funding is another issue. The Senate threw in a piece into their bill that would essentially not require school districts to give money to charter schools through their capital tax rate. And that was the whole point of trying to get that dedicated revenue stream to charter schools They're throwing that to conference as well. There's just a whole bunch of stuff in flux right now. We're about at the halfway point of the legislative session, a little past. And so it's just really a time for them to move forward and to get done with their business because we do have a short legislative session every year. Your observation, influx is a good description. This happens every year, of course. It's interesting to see how positions uh, modulate. People bend a little bit. Uh, You know, they're... Uh, positions change from uh, the beginning of the session, and that's what the process is. That's uh, the democratic process, the the legislative process. Interesting to watch in the final weeks. Yeah, and a lot of times they do reach an agreement. Sometimes they don't. And this year, again, one last little bit. We talked with Angela Browning, one of our recess moms, way early on in session and how she was really encouraged by the conversation on getting recess required for public elementary schools. It's now looking like that bill is on its last legs and it's not going to make it through for the second year in a row. Last year, the Senate killed it. This year, House members are talking about how it's not going to make it through their process. Um, Boy, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, At the beginning of the session, it just it sounded completely different. I would have bet on that bill to go through. 
Yeah, I, I did too. Um, AP reporter Gary Finout had put something on his Twitter feed yesterday talking about how the, the House leaders that he's been talking to said that that bill is technically dead. Uh, it still has some chance. I mean, there's possibility out there, but it's not looking good. So now we get to turn to other issues because the legislature is, is doing those things. I mean, they're in process right now. And one of the things that we've been talking about is it is a holiday. It's a holiday weekend on Friday when most people, I hope, will be listening to this podcast. A lot of kids will be out of school, but not in Pasco County. And it's been really interesting to deal with that situation. Have you read anything about that? Have you heard any of these stories yet, Tom? <laughs> I, I have, Jeff. You reported, uh, I guess, this week that, you know, for the first time in at least five years, the Pasco schools will have classes on, on Good Friday. And the, I think the, 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 that contrasts with Pinellas and Hillsborough County, uh, which, you know, where they'll, they'll be closed for the, for the holiday. So, uh, there's one particular church that uh, let its opinion on that be known, uh, and I think you talked to uh, uh, some of them or saw some communi- communications from the district uh, or to the district from that church, right? Yeah, they were very, very upset, and I think that they hadn't really spoken with the district yet. They got upset because they didn't want to have school on the same day that they wanted their kids to be in church, so they sent in some emails letting the superintendent, no. I sat down with him after he met with the priest at the church in question. And or why don't we listen now to the interview that I had with Superintendent Browning? But I just, I am curious about, you know, how you dealt with that situation. I mean, it seemed to come up. Where did it come up from? Well, the calendar committee put the calendar together. Um, and they don't specifically look at Christian holidays. Our, our mission is to provide the 180 days of instruction for our, the students we serve. And so it's interesting to me is because what will happen is we get criticized because we start too early in August. And then I get criticized because we stay too late in June. Uh, we get criticized. I get criticized because we happen to have kids in school on Good Friday and we're trying and, and one of the reasons we do that is to get our calendar done so we're not moving on into June. And I guess my point being is regardless of this of the decision that I make, there are going to be those folks that are going to find fault with it and those that won't find fault with it. So um, it, it is uh, it is nothing that is the decision to have kids in school on Good Friday and employees at work on Good Friday was not anti-Christian. Uh, it was not anti-religion. It was not. Uh, it had nothing to do with that. Uh, the, the the calendar committee put the calendar together. Uh, I took that calendar to the board for approval, and they approved it. I'm not passing the buck. I'm just saying that's how it happened. But now you had these people from the church writing emails, nasty emails, and and I just wondered, did that even give you pause? I know that being cognizant of other people's views is something that you try to take into account, if nothing else, even if you can't do anything at the end of the day. I've always taken into account other people's views. At least I've tried to, 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 cause I, 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 I used to not be very good at that, but I've gotten better at that since being, being superintendent, because I understand that there are varying views and opinions out there. So when I started to get some of the emails, uh, uh, about Good Friday, uh, I started doing some research. I had uh, given out some misinformation. I thought that we had been out of or in. We, I thought we had had kids in school on previous Good Fridays recently, and that was not the case. 
The last time we did that was uh, 2011, I think. Uh, that was my mistake. I, I gave out misinformation. Um, but again, it the, the concern that we have, the concern I have, uh, is that if we start planning a school calendar around religious holidays, then, um, and at this point, we would take Good Friday, but I defy you to find a Jewish holiday we've taken off. I defy you to find a Muslim holiday we've taken off. I defy you to find any other holiday, religious holiday we've taken off. And, and so I've got to shift my focus then to how or what is our calendar going to look like for student instruction? That's first and foremost. Um, we've said over and over again that if students want to take the day for religious observances, they can take the day, it's an excused absence, and they can make up the work and no harm, no foul. The position we've had with employees uh, gets a little more tenuous um, because we've got to have teachers in the classrooms watching and teaching kids. Um, so with the bus drivers, bus drivers, getting kids to school. I mean, if they don't show up for their bus route, bus drivers, custodians, uh, food and nutrition uh, workers, uh, but they have personal days. If they want to take that day, if they have to take that day, they can use a personal day. We've communicated that with employees. Um, but it, 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 depending on what happens on Friday, uh, you know, it's not to say that we're not going to come back in and look at the calendar from an operational perspective, not the fact that it's Good Friday, but that it's operationally, what does it do for us as a district? Did we have a number of bus drivers out or teachers out or uh, cafeteria workers out that made it difficult for us to manage a school district as large as we are? Isn't that part of the reason why you have a full week off at Thanksgiving now? Because if you take off what Thursday and Friday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday kind of exactly goes right. down. Exactly right. Um, it, when when we looked at the Thanksgiving holiday, we got we got criticized on that. What are you doing taking a whole week off? I've got to find a place for my kids to go. But what happens is, is because you're taking Thursday and Friday off, that the attendance for both students and teachers uh, is much less uh, during Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So operationally, it doesn't make any sense to, to stay open. You close on Friday, you come back the following Monday. I guess you can't make the same argument on Good Friday, though, that you can make for Veterans Day by saying, we'll teach you all about it. Well, that's that's correct, because we, we don't teach about Good Friday. I think that's the church that should be teaching about Good Friday. Uh, I think that the the uh, analogy or the... the um, the distinction they've made by tying Veterans Day, and I saw the, the pretty hateful, mean-spirited comments uh, about me on Facebook last night as, you know, he's he's taken away Veterans Day from us, and now he's taken away Good Friday. Um, they don't know the facts, and the fact of the matter is, is that Good Friday is a religious holiday. The church ought to be teaching about Good Friday, not public schools. Um, but on Veterans Day, because Veterans Day is a moving, floating holiday, uh, fortunately, for the next two years, it's going to be on a Saturday and Sunday, but we're still going to have observances in our schools, either on the Friday or the Monday, uh, because we're going to teach our kids about veterans. Um, but but you're talking about two different types of holidays, two different types of holidays. But it's just like everything else with social media is it's given people the opportunity to pile on uh, and hide behind the anonymity of, uh, of social media. And it's different. We've, we've lost this opportunity. I've said this to you before. We've lost this opportunity to sit down and have civil discourse. We've lost the opportunity to sit down and just rationally talk about things and the rationale and whether at the end of the day, you can either agree with me or not, but we can still leave the table uh, and not 
hate each other. You would think that that would be what would happen when talking about a religious holiday. I was surprised. I was, um, I'm a, I can be a pretty tough guy, um, but I was surprised at the tone of some of the emails um, that I had gotten uh, regarding and some of the writ correspondence that I had gotten from, uh, from church attenders uh, that were very, very displeased with the decision that I had made about having schools open on Good Friday. So next year, new, new, new decision. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a look at it based on what happens on Friday. Uh, I, I was beginning to tell you earlier uh, before we uh, started having this conversation that, you know, even over this last weekend, I I just gave a lot of searching, you know, just soul searching and part of the pun, uh, but a lot of thought to to what 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 is going on. Uh, came in Monday morning, asked my secretary to uh, call uh, the church and see if I could get an appointment with uh, the, the priest. And uh, I went and, and met with the priest and uh, um, we, he was cordial. Uh, he was gracious that I had come by to spend some time with him. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that they believe that the, that the school district should be closed um, on Good Friday. And uh, it's I'm between and he realizes, I think he admitted that that I'm between a rock and a hard place uh, with the decisions that I'm going to make. But at the end of the day, Jeff, somebody's going to make the decision. And the decisions that I make are will always be in the best interest, instructional interest of, of the kids we serve. Okay. Thanks. Right. Thank you. So as, as you can hear, the superintendent is pretty set on keeping the options open for whether to have classes on Good Friday or not. It's all about instruction, but it's also about operations. If they can't find enough people to come to school, then they probably won't be open again next year. But right now it's up in the air. Yeah, that, that's interesting when you, when you said find enough people to come to school. That, that's actually been an issue uh, for the courts. Um, the, the courts, the federal courts especially, have dealt with this uh, issue, believe it or not. Um, they've held that you know, public schools can uh, close on religious holidays if they, they do it for valid, valid secular reasons. Um, like one of them is pre- preventing excessive absenteeism. Uh, I did a story a few years ago. Uh, in Pinellas County, where they had uh, good Good Friday, uh, it was not off uh, for the first time in a few years. And of the district's 8,000 teachers that year, 1,000 were absent for Good Friday. They had to call in 900 substitutes, and we just did a, some polling of some of the schools in St. Pete High, for example. Half of the students were out. And it's a situation where, um, you know, if it's going it's to cause a disruption in, in some districts uh, where the you know, where the, you have a high quotient of uh, people of a certain faith. And you know, if, if you have mass absences, you know, that school is not going to accomplish uh, what it wants to accomplish that day. So it does, uh, the, the sort of makeup of the community, uh, uh, religion-wise, does uh, factor into this. Absolutely, and that's why I think that most school districts in Florida do not have school on Good Friday and and. This is a conversation piece for around the state because the conversations on what to do with your calendars, when to set your holidays, and what's just simply a holy day that you can take off for your personal reasons and be excused, but the rest of school goes on, it really resonates. That's a key, that's a key point, that they can be excused. Uh, uh, it, it can be an excused absence. I think in Pinellas, you, you, at least that one year, you had to show you know, that you did go to a service or you had to have a note from a parent or something, but it, it was pretty uh, pretty easily excused. So now, Tom, I understand that um, you've been talking with Colleen Wright, our 
Pinellas County reporter about a story that she's been working on. Can you give us an update on what that's about? Sure. Uh, Colleen wrote a story this week about uh, High Point Elementary in uh, mid-Pinellas County, and there's some very interesting developments um, based on some early test scores uh, she's been looking at. Let's listen to a conversation that I had with uh, Colleen earlier today. Well, hello, Colleen. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Tom? I'm doing great. I thought we'd uh, sort of get right to the bottom line here. Uh, You wrote this week about a group of students known as English language learners who achieved some very surprising results recently at one of our local elementary schools in Pinellas County, uh, High Point Elementary. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, So I first got turned on to the story because I was at a panel at Pointer and uh, Michael Feeney, who is the principal of High Point, was sitting there. And, uh, you know, just for background, High Point is in the transformation zone along with those five uh, struggling elementary schools, once known as the failure factories, uh, and uh, two other schools that were added. And uh, Michael Feeney, the principal, said, you know, we have different challenges in those schools in South South St. Petersburg. He said we have English language learners and, and they struggle too. So I thought that that was a really interesting comment. And when I looked into it and I, I pulled their scores on the uh, MAP tests, they're called Measures of Academic Progress, and they're supposed to be the best predictors for uh, the Florida Standards Assessments, which are uh, Florida's high stakes tests um, that students take every spring. Um, and I noticed that they are doing, those English language learners at High Point are doing uh, better than, if not as well as, the uh, whole schools. Um, you know, that are in the transformation zone. And that's really interesting because, you know, local test scores, state test scores, and nationwide research all dictate that these groups of students, these these students who, you know, do not know English, it's a second language for them, um, actually should be trailing behind. So they were bucking some national trends. And the kids at these other schools that you're comparing against have been speaking English their whole lives, right? So that's what's so surprising about this is that there would be, these kids would be on par uh, or are doing better than uh, the kids at the other schools, right? Right, yes. So uh, the state doesn't even na- you know, mention how many uh, English language learners there are at those other schools. There's, uh, they're fewer than 10, so the state even maps their numbers. So they're a handful. They would not uh, influence uh, test scores at all. But uh, High Point has about roughly 250 English language learners, um, and the school is about 360, so that's about a, a third. You know, that, that's enough to, to make a dent, you know, to make an impact um, in some, you know, high-stakes scores. And, and all of these schools are under the gun, you know, to improve. Right. So, so this, for, the, for them to be bucking this national trend, something must be happening there at that school. Uh, what did you find when you started asking questions of the principal? And I understand the uh, University of Central Florida is involved at the school. What are they doing that's uh, bringing these kids uh, their performance up? So, uh, Principal Michael Feeney was being, you know, pretty modest, but he was saying that, uh, he credited, you know, a full hour of reading at the beginning of every day to, uh, get students kind of on the right track. And then there's different types of reading that are taking place. Um, there's some teachers who are doing small groups. There's, um, some books that have little, you know, reading comprehension questions where students can assess how much they learned and what they got out of the reading passage. And some kids just read on their own. Um, it's, it's pretty individual, it seemed, you know, tailored to every kid at every grade level uh, in every kind of situation, whether they're English language learners or ESOL or, you know, whatever, uh, ESE, whatever it may be. Um, 
And uh, I know he also credited the, the teachers for working very hard. They kind of drill down on, on these biweekly assessments, like these two-week uh, tests that kind of measure the standards and see how kids are learning and, and kind of help where kids might be falling through the gaps. You uh, you talked to some experts as well around the country, and uh, mm. some of them were kind of scratching their heads over this, uh, but they did offer some ideas of what might be going on. Can you tell us a little bit about what they said? Sure. Uh, they, you know, of course they wanted more context. It's hard to know exactly what's happening in these schools, but they definitely credited, you know, um, strong community support, um, a, co a community that buys into what the school is doing. Um, they definitely also credited uh, uh, parental involvement, um, of course, teacher morale and teacher turnover, a strong leadership. Um, and, uh, you know, there were some theories about the immigrant experience and how, you know, uh, you know, one researcher, David Murphy, with Child Trends, uh, he said that, um, you know, the, these families that come from other countries must have, like, incredible resources and, and will and drive to be able to come over here, and that goes through their kids, too. Um, there's also, you know, some other people who say, well, that's not so true. Sometimes there's a lot of pressure on the kids, but... Um, you know, as another researcher pointed out, I believe it was Stephen Alvarez, he said that um, there, uh, a lot of parents will go uh, out of their way to get the best education for those kids, whether they be, you know, after school programs or tutoring, but um, they, they really do care about their children and uh, it's showing at High Point. Wow, it's, uh, the, the results are really incredible. I, I think you talked to uh, another expert who said, you know, we be careful what we read into these uh, these early test results. The the MAP scores or you call the measures of academic progress that we're basing the story on, because we don't want to confuse that with real learning. He said, is that is that am I getting that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's a skepticism of, you know, whether these high-stake tests actually measure how kids are doing. And, of course, you know, with schools that are on notice, such as High Point, um, you know, that, that could be a factor is, you know, are they doing too much testing? But, you know, we, we have to take these these test results for what they are. And if they if this test truly is um, a measurement or a predictor of how, how they fare on these, you know, statewide tests that are happening right now, um, then, then we have to just see, you know, what comes out in the wash come, come May and June. That, that will be interesting to see. You know, these, of course, are the tests that count toward the school grade and the ones that everyone are looking towards. So we'll see how that uh, shakes out. We'll get the results in the, uh, in the summer sometime. Um, Colleen, thanks for joining the podcast and telling us the story behind the story. Uh, we're going to have you on again sometime to talk about other education issues in Pinellas County and beyond. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's another fascinating story that we're going to continue to follow especially when the legislature closes down and we have to talk about things other than the bills that are going on. So we'll be looking forward to hearing ideas from all of our readers and listeners too, so we can know some of the cool things like that, that we're going to continue to write about and report about. Now, you know, we try and take a little bit of time to talk about something small that we've noticed, something that just caught our attention. Tom, you got something? I do. Um, you actually posted on the Gradebook blog this week a story out of uh, Flagler County that was interesting to me. Uh, they are choosing a new superintendent up there, and one of the finalists, uh, actually a finalist that most of the school board members liked, um, he was a superintendent uh, from Kentucky, and um, uh, he uh, he withdrew his name from consideration, uh, and not because he had another job, but because um, as one board member described it, he he got to see the board, the Flagler board, uh, in action uh, via video, and he did not like what he saw. 
And uh, the story said that he even had some advice for the board. Uh, he said, quote, after hearing the comments of board members and those present at the last meeting, I do not think it, it is a good fit for me. Um, I would encourage both the board and community to move past the candidates uh, that withdrew his name from consideration and focus their attention on students as opposed to this one adult. So I guess there was some back and forth, uh, some uh, 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 very uh, animated discussion, I guess. Uh, and uh, this this candidate obviously saw some some characteristics on that board that he did not he, he was not going to. Uh, subject himself to that uh, over the next few years. So uh, that that was interesting. I've I've run into that in my reporting. I saw that, and it just made me remember that lesson that we all have: that when we go in for job interviews, they're interviewing us, but we're also interviewing them. Absolutely. So, Jeff, what was your what was your thing that you spotted this week? Well, I saw a story that came out of one of our local districts, and it was regarding how to deal with graduation, which is coming up really soon when you have students who were to be in the graduating class but have passed away during the past year or so. There was a school here that has one girl and she died and the school student body, the senior class, wanted to put a chair in the graduation group that was empty and recognize her that way. The school had other ideas in mind. They've never done that in the past or rarely done that in the past when they have had students who aren't there for, for that reason. They they recognize them by giving them an honorary diploma, putting photos up, playing music, doing other things like that, but they haven't had a chair in in the graduation class. And it was just interesting to me that, you know, a lot the schools have different ways of dealing with that and that they actually have to think about it every year because graduation is supposed to be a happy time, but there is it is somber too. Sometimes your classmates aren't there. They're in a car crash, they got ill. And we, we have these stories every year and it just really struck me that, you know, why would a school want to fight about this for one thing? If a if the student body wants it and the family wants it, why wouldn't they just say yes? <laughs> that that really kind of resonated with me. But at the same time they have to keep, you know, decorum and and do things in a way so that they're not insulting say the family next year that didn't get it because they didn't think to do it. Yeah, I read that too and it's uh, you know, of course it's a very wrenching situation. You get uh, just get emotional reading it. Uh, but it sounded like a situation of, you know, one group of folks had a one idea and another had another idea of how to honor this uh this student and it was sort of a situation where they their ideas were kind of crossing in the mail. And I just found myself at the end of that uh reading that story was I hope everybody it was clear that everyone's trying to do right by this family and and right by this uh this student. And I, I, uh, there was some. It hadn't been completely resolved uh, as of the blog post, and I hope they uh, they found a way to to get through this so that uh, they avoided uh, any kind of conflict. Because that's you certainly don't want that in a situation like this. It's the last thing you want. Absolutely. So that is the end of our podcast. Thank you again for listening. You can follow our conversations on Facebook, and we hope that you give us some ideas as well. Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. And for the latest news on Florida education issues, please visit our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. And I'm Tom Tobin. And again, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>